Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. Hello and welcome to Louisa's Health Kick podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Zach Tucker and Jeremy Grater, who are the founders and hosts of the FitMass podcast. For nearly a decade, they have pushed themselves to learn more about their own physical, emotional and mental health. And this has given them a passion to use that knowledge to help others. They've been host of the show since 2007, and during that time have had the opportunity to speak to a wide range of guests, including some of the biggest names in health and fitness. And I'm delighted to have Jeremy and Jack join me today, and we're going to be discussing public health priorities and how we live our lives, because we know that there's a link between lifestyle and health, but at times for me, certainly it feels like we're swimming against the tide. Um, so I wanted to bring in Jeremy and Jack to talk about the, the US perspective, because obviously here we're in the UK and I talk a lot about the UK. So I wanted to bring in a different perspective. So I'm going to go to each of you in turn. You can find amongst yourselves who wants to go first. Um, but just in terms of to briefly introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about how you came together and what's your story to lead to where you are today. Zach. All right. So I am, I've been relatively healthy now for probably uh 15 years now um but my my life i was kind of set up for for not success um i had lots of uh, traumatic childhood issues that led to lots of overeating and not exercising and doing you know things that were generally unhealthy for me which in my early 20s um i was nearly 300 pounds ate fast food every single day because one of my friends was a, a, a manager at, at a local one and I got free food. So as a college student, that was, that was, that was good. Um, didn't exercise, didn't do anything. And, um, I kind of had a wake up moment, uh, one day with, with my job where they told me I smoked cigarettes at the time. And my boss told me he wouldn't have hired me if he knew I had smoked. So that got me thinking, I was like, wow, I, I should probably quit doing this. So I did that. And then kind of the next step was um, just moving a little bit more. And it kind of snowballed a little bit over the next few years. But I started getting healthier and healthier and realizing I like this. I like this more and more and more, um, which has led to today where, you know, I look back 20 years ago and I am 180 degrees, a totally different person than I was both physically, mentally um, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, which I still do, but I keep it at bay, I keep it healthy. Um, but probably 10 years ago, I met Jeremy and we both have daughters who are the same age. And we, we kind of started having these conversations about uh, how hard it is to be healthy uh, in today's day and age with, with everything set against you. And we started to get a little vulnerable with each other, telling each other how it's hard to be a man specifically and do some of the things that we need to do. And um, I'll let Jeremy kind of finish the story, but we realized one day that these, these conversations we were having needed to be out there. People needed to hear them so we could normalize the struggle and the effort that goes into actually being healthy in, in a society that works against you. Yeah, my struggle is, is similar. Uh, I didn't have the same traumatic childhood, but I had your you know standard garden variety trauma with my uh, upbringing and 
that led to a lot of bad food choices because I, I comforted myself with food and that sort of thing. And yeah, like, like Zach said, about 10 years ago, uh, I got really serious about trying to, to get things under control. And it was because of a knee injury. You know, I had a physical therapist that said, you're going to end up replacing both of your knees if you don't get on a bike. So I got on a bike and then on that bike, I found the ability to just be so present in the moment, because if you're, you know, biking through city streets, if you're not in that moment, there's not going to be another moment because it's going to end badly. So I just, I really fell in love with being present and being in the moment. And I, I found a therapist who could sort of guide me through that process to, to, to do more of that, to start meditating and, and making, you know, being really present a part of my everyday uh, life. And yeah, like Zach said, we, we met and he was a, a few steps ahead of me on the path. And, and I had sort of turned to him and said, what are you doing? What's working for you? I, you know, I, I want to follow in that same path. And he had a lot of advice and we just really opened up to each other. And like he said, that's, that was really the birth of our show is that we just thought, you know, we don't hear other guys talking like this. We don't hear other guys sharing the pain and the struggle that it is to try and be healthy and be good dads and to show up and, and to do all the hard things. Cause it is so much of our culture is about what's easy, what's convenient, what's fast, what's simple for you. And as it turns out, nothing good really comes from that. You, you really have to fight. You have to struggle to get to the good stuff. And that's what we're trying to share with, with our messages, just to lean into those struggles because that's where so much growth happens. Mm, I think that's a really good point. And, and as Zach said earlier as well, it is increasingly difficult to, to live a healthy lifestyle because everything is geared up and, and set up almost to make you fail when you, when you start on that journey. If you even think you're going on a journey, most people have fallen into um, habits that they don't even realize are unhealthy because that's just so normal now. Um, and I think, you know, eating unhealthy doesn't even feel like it's unhealthy anymore because it is the nature of so much of the food landscape that it's an everyday thing. And it's not even something that is a weekend. I don't like using the word treat for junk food, but I know a lot of people associate treats as those sorts of things. It's not even that anymore because it is so available. And I think one thing that we struggle with, with global health is we look at the factors and I always say factors, not choices um, that influence health. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the time we'll hear lifestyle choice in terms of things like type two diabetes, which nobody chooses that kind of lifestyle that leads to ill health. It just, there are factors that lead them down that road um, and you both have personal experience in terms of your own personal journeys but many people won't even know they're on a journey or even that they're unhealthy so how do we start to and how do you do this with your podcast to kind of get people to kind of almost it sounds awful but almost open their eyes a little bit to the fact that lifestyle that is normal and is normalized is not a healthy one. And I think people are so used to feeling rubbish that they don't even know that they feel unhealthy. I think that's the thing, right? I mean, you have to really sort of quiet the noise around you and, and turn off Netflix and, and get quiet with your life and, and figure out how do I feel when I wake up? Does it take three cups of coffee before I'm awake? Am I exhausted by three in the afternoon and I can't play with my kids? Can I not get down on the floor with my little ones and, and keep up with them? Have I not seen my bike that's been in the shed since 1986? Like there's, there's little things that you just have to sort of start paying attention to. How do I feel and what does my life look like? And then project, like, how is this going to look in 10 years, 20 years? Am I going to be the guy that can't get off the couch without help? Am I going to be the one that, that can't walk around the block because I've, I've gained so much weight? If, if you don't feel good, if you don't wake up feeling good and have energy to get through the day, that's a good 
a good start is to realize, okay, something's wrong. I should feel good. Unless you have, you know, a chronic disease that, that plagues you with pain and, and, and feeling terrible all the time. If you're an otherwise, you know, air quotes, healthy person, you should wake up feeling pretty good. You should be able to get through the day. You should be able to run around with the kids and, and, and do all the things and not have it be a, a huge taxing thing on your life. And if it is, then that's when you need to start getting really curious about the choices that you're making and about the way you're prioritizing your time to take care of yourself and to, to get the right kind of nutrition for your body. And I think unfortunately as well, the onus is on individuals because I know here in the UK, um, we have had various sort of strategies and attempts at, you know, making um, a sugar tax and and doing various initiatives such as putting calories on menus, which we have just launched, but I know you've had for quite a while. Um, and the onus is always on the individual. And I think a lot of people don't want that onus on themselves and they want somebody else to kind of make it easier for them. And I think you know, what you're saying is the big step has to come from wanting to do something yourself, whether it's a a, a shock, um, a, a visit to the doctors that tells you something that you didn't expect or um, a realization of a situation that you thought I'm really uncomfortable with this because I didn't see this as being my life. Something like that, that makes people realize because maybe it's going to take that for somebody to actually wake up a little bit and think, well, actually, I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable because I don't know how many people are sort of proactive with their health. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, a, it's difficult for somebody to just wake up one day and say, I want to do things different. Like, you, you, like Jeremy said, you have to be really curious about yourself and understand, you know, is this normal? Could there be something better? Um, and and as sad as it is, some people just have to get to like that, the bottom, right? They have to have something traumatic happen to them in order for them to start paying attention to this. And a lot of the things that we talk about are, are small little daily habits. And I know for me, like when I think about, you know, last night, my daughter wanted to go and get ice cream. I was like, well, it's, you know, it's a Monday. We're not going to do that on Monday, but in the back of my head, I was like, well, it's just once. It's a little decision. It's a very small thing that we could do. Um, but realizing that all of these small little choices add up over time, I don't think a lot of people quite connect those really small individual choices and habits to the larger picture of health and feeling well. Well, and to your point about rock bottom too, for a lot of people, Zach and I were very fortunate. Our rock bottom was he found out he might not have gotten the job that he had that was a pretty good job. For me, I hurt my knee and was able to recover. For some people, it's cancer. For some people, it's you know terminal, like they're too late, should have done something 20 years ago. So that's something I try and keep in mind is how lucky I was that my rock bottom was pretty high. And so I just try and project, you know, again, 10, 20 years in the future. I don't want to go into the doctor and find out that something I'm, that I'm doing wrong today could have prevented what I would otherwise hear then in 10 or 20 years. So you can wait for rock bottom and it will change your life. Something horrible can, can show up on your doorstep and it will make you overnight start taking small or large steps. But why wait? Like just, just imagine that it's already happened and start preventing it from happening I think that's, that's been one of the things that keeps me going is just knowing that I don't want to get that diagnosis. I don't, I don't want to find out there's something I could have done different to have a healthier, longer life with my family. 
I think that's that's a really good point and one that I um, certainly talk about a lot because a lot of the work I do is focusing on um, children's health and trying to instill health in a generation that still have that whole chance of shaping healthy habits and shaping a healthier future for themselves. But getting a younger generation to understand actually it matters now. It, it you can't get away with everything. Um, you're during childhood. You're you're building your brain. You're building your skeleton that has to live with you for the rest of your life. And a, you know a strong skeleton needs to be built before you're a fully grown teenager. Otherwise, you have all sorts of bone issues and joint issues later on in life. And I think we don't plan enough for ourselves. We don't plan enough for even for our children's health sometimes. Um, I certainly see it in my work in early years is that people just think children are invincible and, you know, oh, they're children, they, you know, they'll just burn it off or they'll, they'll do this or it never did me any harm. And actually we need to really focus on what we're feeding them because all the health predictions, all the future this, future that and the other, they're all to do with our future and our children's future. And they are predictions, but a lot of people kind of think, well, you know, that's what's going to happen. Or they don't even think about it. They just see these numbers in the sky and don't really relate them back to individuals. But actually, we all can influence to a degree. Obviously, there are external factors that we can't influence. But if we factor in, I think, 80 to 90% of cause mortality is lifestyle driven, we can influence an awful lot of it without waiting for something bad to happen. And it is all about taking those those baby steps. And for me, it's about not being preachy. So it's all well and good to sit here feeling healthy and say, well, you know, it's, it's marvelous to feel healthy and we all could, you know, take steps. But for somebody who really finds it difficult, is really, you know, in a cycle of unhealthy eating, which is incredibly hard to break, especially in the obesogenic environment we live in. How would you advise somebody who really doesn't understand nutrition, doesn't understand their body, eats what they eat, not because they are greedy or lazy, but because that's what habitually their body is craving, because that's what they've eaten and they're in that cycle how do we start to encourage people um to break that cycle with really small steps because nobody wants a mountain in front of them uh, i mean we've already alluded to the idea that it's it's small steps and and i'm i'm no nutritionist right like i i, I don't have it figured out and i try different things all the time this week, I'm trying cutting out gluten just because I want to see how I feel. I want to see if I wake up feeling better. I want to see if, if my digestion's better. My wife had some success and I'm like, and, and our kids have uh, gluten issues. So I'm thinking, who am I to say that I don't? So I'm just trying, right? I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to make any difference. I might decide, oh, it's completely a waste of time and didn't need to do that. But it's just get curious again, right? Like what can I do different tomorrow that's better today? Can I drink a, a glass of water because I haven't had one since January? You know, like find little things you can do to to try and move the needle, but but pay attention. How does it feel? If, if I drink, you know, more water tomorrow than I did today, will I feel better? If I start taking a 10 minute walk, will I feel better? Will I start to realize, oh, I, I can go a little further. Now I can go 15, 20 minutes. But whatever you do, don't do it all at once. Don't go into it going, I'm going to hit the gym on Monday and I'm only going to eat vegetables for the rest of my life. And I'm only going to lift heavy weights and I'm never going to like, you can't, you will give up. It will not work unless you are the rare unicorn that can pull that off. But it's got to be one thing today, another thing tomorrow or next week, whatever, whatever works for you, but it's got to be small and it's got to be things that fit into your life. If your life is is too hectic to go and spend an hour at the gym, then that's not going to work for you. That's not going to be sustainable. 
but maybe you can find a home workout video that works for you, or you can just start going for walks and then eventually a jog. But you, you, you've just got to start small. It, it, nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to hear that the answer is small incremental changes over a long period of time that become habitual and then eventually just become who you are instead of a mountain of things that you should probably do one day to take care of yourself. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing too from, from just a nutrition standpoint. The, the difference between being hungry and emotional eating um, I, I can speak personally, like I didn't know the difference. I would just end up at the cupboard getting food and eating something, you know, sometimes potato chips at 10 o'clock in the morning if I had a stressful day. And I just thought I was hungry. So, you know, even before you make changes, like just being mindful and, and thinking about right before you put something in your mouth, am I really hungry? Am I actually, is my body craving nutrition? Or do I have some stress in my life right now that I'm trying to alleviate with this? Like just figuring that out and then going forward. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to the cupboard, gone to grab something. And now that I know the difference between emotional eating and being hungry, I change my mind and I put it back. Unless it's potato chips, if it gets in my hand, it's it's going down. But 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 just knowing that difference is really, really hard to do, but it's really, really important because I would guess, and I have no data on this, but I would guess that more than half of what people eat is more emotional eating as opposed to I'm hungry eating. Mm, definitely. Well, my my background is is nutrition and certainly in terms of the biology of it, it was very rare in the Western world that we are ever physiologically hungry, properly physiologically hungry. So most of the time we're driven by what is referred to as a hedonic hunger, so we could see an advert and it obviously plays on the senses or we could see what somebody else is eating or we can smell something um, or in the sense of you, you're in your cupboard and you're, you're, you know, you're faced with things because you've ended up there because maybe boredom often dr drives people to food as well. We're not often properly hungry in, in a Western society, not properly biologically have a need for food. So a step change for me and that I always um, suggest to people is before you eat anything to just look at the food. And I know it sounds really crazy, but I always say, look at the food and just say, are you worthy of my body? Is it worth me eating this? And a lot of the time the answer will be no. And sometimes depending on people's cycle of addiction with food, because food is an addiction, they won't be able to bypass it. They might think, no, I know you're not, but it's still going in because there's a lot of hormones at play um, with food addiction. Once people can start to understand that, like they can start to understand the emotional link with food, then you start to regain control. And that for me is a really big thing because people with food um, addictions or habitual eaters, stress eaters, comfort eaters, emotional eaters, all of those boredom eaters, all of those sort of categories, they're not in control. So they're not even enjoying the food that they're eating. And then the worst bit of emotional eating is the guilt that comes afterwards. Because then what people don't realize is you've eaten the food. That wasn't the worst bit. The worst bit is the guilt you feel afterwards because that produces cortisol, the stress hormone, and then you feel worse for longer. And one really negative aspect of cortisol is it increases the abdominal fat. So it may not be the food itself that is actually driving the weight problem, but the emotional, biological connection of the food. And I think people don't know that. Why would they? I know it because I'm fascinated by it all and I tell as many people as I can, but somebody in the cupboard looking at their food wouldn't understand that, that hold that food has over them. 
even that idea though of of are you worthy of my body there's a, there's a level of self-acceptance and self-love that has to happen before you get there because there's times when I, I you know I will still eat garbage to punish myself because I I have some emotional response to it that like it's going to make me feel better but also you know I don't deserve anything I don't deserve any better so it, it's it who cares right I'm throwing in the towel for for that snack or whatever that thing is so there is an element of like you have to just sort of get okay with yourself you have to get okay with I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. Otherwise I would be somewhere else. I am who I am right now. Otherwise I would be someone else. That's it's okay. It doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter how obese you are, how thin you are, how healthy, whatever. If you're not okay with where you are on the inside, whatever's going on with your body is going to be that much bigger of, of a climb. So you know, I, you got to start. Sometimes it takes therapy. Sometimes it takes really just addressing those inner demons and, and those things that you fight that you are, you know, uh, feeding with literally and figuratively feeding with this food. If, if you're not in a good place mentally, it's going to be a lot harder to, to, to manage the stuff physically. Mm, absolutely. I think, I think self-care and self-love is, is a really important factor in, in our health and, and, and the, the message that we're talking about here in terms of public health, because public health is the priorities and how much it costs healthcare and what provision needs to be available, et cetera. Most of that goes to things that are linked to our lifestyle and it's all, it's all reactive. So diabetes clinics for type two diabetes, our figures are skyrocketing, particularly with children. Um, well, it's 20 years ago in the UK, we had one child with type 2 diabetes. We've now got over 3,400 and something. So it's, it's I don't know what the figures are for the US, um, but I, I know that certainly here, it used to be called adult onset until 25 years ago. And, and now we're sort of accepting that children are getting it. And those children, unfortunately, will live with a condition that they will learn to kind of just think, well... I have this and it's now me and this is my future instead of something that could be looking here at my future 20, 30 years and how could it be different? So I think it's a, such a big sort of uphill struggle in terms of how we work against because public health for me is very reactive. Here's the problem. Here's an immediate solution or here's something that will put a plaster over it. Here's a temporary fix. For me, and I know it's all financial, it never looks further into the future, 20, 30 years from now, and what can we do now to make that future look healthier? So it comes down to us as individuals to take our own future, forecast it, visualize it, and think, how am I going to be in 20, 30 years' time? And I know you, you've both alluded to what the future may look like, but just for everybody um, to just think, well, I'm going to visualize myself in 5, 10, 15, 20 years and and see the things that I have now, are they going to be escalated and worsened or can I do something now today to change things? Yeah, um, I know I know for me, so I have a 10 year old daughter at home and the the battle that I have consistent consistently every single day with her is me trying to teach her, you know, the things that she should be eating to be healthy and be, you know, um, a positive impact on society. And then the eight or 10 hours that she's away from me in school and doing all these things, she gets filled with all of the other ideas and she comes home and she wants sugar, um, all the time. And I feel sometimes I feel like it's a never ending battle of for, for every step 
forward I take with her to get her to understand these things, it's two steps back um, for the rest of society on her. Um, so I really do try and lead by example on a lot of that stuff and really be, um, I, I spend too much, some people give me um, a bit of a headache over it, but they, I spend too much time telling people what food makes me feel like and when I feel bad and when it, when it doesn't, when I, when I feel really good. So with my daughter, I will, you know, sometimes I'll eat something bad with her and then I go into excessive detail on how I feel about it, like what what's happening within my own body and um, and vice versa with, with something good. I really try and overly emphasize like, hey, I actually feel good and I was able to go to the gym and I was able to go do this and this is why I eat healthy so I can live my life in the best way possible. Um, so it's, you know, I don't even think I answered what you were looking for, but just it is such the, the societal norm that, you know, children or even, you know, us get when we're out in public is so different than what we want to do from, you know, a nutritional standpoint. So for me, like, I really just try and be a good example of, you know, 80% of the time I'm eating really well and I will have a treat occasionally, but I need to keep it a treat. It can't be a staple part of my diet. It's hard. It's hard enough for any one person to take care of themselves. But then when you're responsible for what's going into your kid's mouth, it is a, a massive, massive weight to carry. And I fail at it pretty much every day. Because my kids the same way. They want to eat garbage all day long because it tastes amazing. So I, I, again, small small steps. One thing I've been doing is I just I did a little research on how much kids their age, uh, how much protein they need every day. And to me, if I can get them to hit 20 grams of protein in a day, then I'm like, okay, fine. Have have some Cheetos, whatever. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a little bit and let them make some choices and decide how does this make my body feel to, to eat this? Because if I know that they're getting that, then, then I see the results too. They're not as crazy. They're not as wired. They're not as moody. If they're, if their blood sugar is regulated a little bit more then they're a little bit easier to manage. And then I can usually convince them to eat a little bit better too. So that's, that's just one thing that's been working for me. It's a really good point because I think, I mean, I have an, an eight-year-old son and having me as a mother, he's, you know, he's, he's not had a lot of choice in terms of eating healthily. Um, but his his palate has been allowed to develop without any synthetic flavors. So by the age of five, he, he um, was given sweets for the first time um, at school and he hated them. He rejected them. He didn't like the texture of them. He didn't like how sweet they tasted. Um and he now he's eight and it's his choice now. And I've said, you know, you have to make, cause I don't want him to be the weird kid that, you know, doesn't like things when the rest of society is going crazy for them. Um, and I said, you know, now you're older, try them for yourself, you know, make your own decision and still doesn't like them. And there are many things that have a very artificial taste about them that he automatically rejects because it's too sweet, it's too synthetic. So I know it's possible to do that with children, but it has to be done before their palate can develop. And most children before the age of three have already been exposed to, because the food industry, and I know it's the same for you guys, market a lot of products for children that are what, what's deemed as hyper palatable. Um, so they're full of that mix of sugar, salt, fats that doesn't exist in nature because it is so tempting and addictive to the palate that it immediately fires up all the senses and children are much more receptive than grown-ups because everything is developing but that includes their detoxification system so they cannot eliminate the bad stuff 
as much as a grown-up can, which is why when people say, oh, it never did me any harm, it's it, we're not comparing like for like, and children today are exposed to much more in terms of the, the nature of the ingredients and the scale of foods that are available to them. Um, so children... It's a tricky one. It's what I spend 90% of my time talking about. Um, But one thing that children can do is understand their own body and their own biology. And and Zach, you were talking about it in terms of the conversations you have about food. I would go one deeper and I would explain to my son what that food is doing to his biology and how that is doing amazing things in his body. Like if he has some yogurt or something that would support his gut, I will explain that there's literally an army marching down to his tummy to support his immune system, to support his blood sugar, to support all the things that go on within the gut microbiome. They love it. They like anything to do with themselves and their body, and they are so capable of understanding. And then it enables them to make their own decisions. So when we just say no to children, it's very much a rebel against it, as it is for grown-ups as well. When they understand that actually if I have this, it's going to do this for me and it's going to, like vegetables, obviously a battle a lot of the time for children to eat vegetables. And if we refer to them um, in terms of what they can do in the body, like they can boost killer T cells. Well, children like things like that, and killer cells. You know, so they're an immune cell, of course, but, you know, but they like the sound of something like that and the fact that vegetables have phytochemicals in them and it makes them think of vegetables as like ninjas and things. So making the biology relevant to children is somewhat of a it is a battle because the the if food manufacturers did that it would be amazing because they have got the budgets and the, the scope and the power and the influence a parent doing it is not so easy but i can never see that happening on a large scale so as long as i think as individuals as parents to inform That's the problem with a lot of people is they don't know what they don't know. If we can inform our children on their own biology and what food does to their body, then that really helps them to be in control of their choices and to think, well, I do or I don't want it, but at least it's their choice. Yeah, I I have a, you know, this is for me as well as my daughter, but on on a couple of occasions, you know, I've really noticed that I would disassociate like eating the bad food from the negative feeling that comes later. So like you eat a lot of sugar, you you feel good for a little while and then you crash. And I always, you know, in order for me to figure that out, I had to link the two because there's such a, a large amount of time between when you eat it and when you crash, you don't put it together. And in the last few weeks, I've actually successfully linked those two things for my daughter where I was like, yes, okay, you can have some ice cream, but I need you to pay attention to how you feel right now. And in two and a half hours, we're going to revisit this. And I want you to remember the ice cream. And she was able to link the two that she feels bad because she ate ice cream two and a half hours ago. And then we went the other route of let's eat something healthy and let's pay attention to how you feel in two hours or three hours. And, you know, for adults, for children, for anyone, like food doesn't have that immediate effect. Like you get that immediate dopamine rush from eating the food, but then the real um, feelings and effects of the food come later. And I think it's really important to associate the two because often it's, like I said, there's so much time in between when you eat and the real effect of the food hits you that you don't associate it. And it couldn't possibly be the food that you ate six hours ago. 
Mm, and I think as well, sometimes within that time period, people have had more food and topped up. So it's then sort of trying to figure out what food when and what the after effect is, because for some people eating is almost continual. Um, and so the feeling perhaps of the the feeling, the negative feelings that come with the crash are almost continual as well with a very short high in between because people are continually in that cycle. And it is a cycle and that cycle is incredibly hard to break. Um, I'm aware that we could kind of talk for a very long time because we have been talking for a very long time. Um, so I'm just going to um, try to bring us back to um, sort of a bit more about you guys and just to sort of finish up with, if you could, uh, each of you in town, I'll come to you, um, Jeremy, first. Sort of, I know we've talked about small steps and, you know, sort of all those things, but if there's one other thing as a top tip, as a takeaway that people can do straight away without having to buy anything or go anywhere, that one thing that you would say, well, you can do this right now, what would that be? I think I would go back to sort of the foundation of what put me on this path. And and I'm not here to preach meditation, but I'm here to 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 say, just pay attention, just get quiet, turn off the six devices that are beeping at you every five minutes. If you can just eliminate all of those distractions as much as you can and pay attention to how does my body feel? Am I actually hungry or am I bored? Am I sad? Am I depressed? Am I anxious? Usually you're anxious or depressed or bored. Like those are, those are the things that sort of drive us all the time. And so we sort of respond to that all day long because we're in the survival mode. But if you can find a way to just get calm, just get quiet and really pay attention to what is the next thing I really need to do right now. You can, you can open so many doors and it can be, wow, I've got time. I can just go walk around the block really quick. I, I can prepare a salad for lunch or whatever, whatever the nutritional thing is that you're trying to accomplish. But whatever it is, it's, it's going to be a lot harder to decide if you're just constantly swinging from vine to vine and responding to beep after beep on your phone or your screen or whatever the thing is. Just, just try and find some time for quiet and just really pay attention to what that, that inner voice, not the crazy one in your head, but the one that's coming from your heart, from your gut, that intuition, what is it telling you that your life needs? Not, you know, what show do I need to subscribe to online next or whatever, but just, just try and get quiet and, and find out what your body's telling you. Yeah, that's important. Thank you, Jeremy. So just hush out all of the noise and focus in on yourself for just a moment. And the same question to you, Zach. I know we've covered a lot of other things, but just one thing to sort of finish on as a takeaway, other than what we have, if there's anything else that, that could be a little snippet of, of wisdom from yourself. Yeah, I think um, moving your body in a, more of a capacity than we normal, than we do on a daily basis. I know, you know, I work from home and there's been a couple of times where I, I go to bed and realize I didn't even leave the house today. You know, so in today's world with with the pandemic and working from home, um, just moving your body. It's it's not not really about exercising, but it's about you using your body and tiring your body out to the point where your body craves the foods and nutrition that it actually wants to recover from that. Um, and if you have, you know, gotten quiet and listened to your body a little bit, you might recognize that subtle difference of, I want to eat this because I actually went for a walk today, or I went for, went to the gym today. And I wouldn't prescribe any kind of specific movement on anyone other than moving more than you do now. And that can be just walking around the block can be as simple as that. And I know for me, and again, for my daughter, both of us can be in a very foul mood, just very negative. And I've watched her go to lacrosse practice. I've gone to the gym and just moving my body 
you know, releases the right chemicals to just make me feel better and make better choices in my life going forward. Mm, absolutely that's that's a brilliant one because for me if I don't move I get incredibly grumpy and so I know everyone knows when when I haven't moved because it will be very apparent if I've not managed to go out for a run in a day or on my bike or something because I'll just be incredibly grumpy but but that's because that's what I recognize in myself and I know that I need to do it and if I don't do it I'm, I'm not only grumpy because biologically I've not done it but I'm grumpy because I feel like I've missed out on that me time and I think we can all get to that point within ourselves where actually self-care and, and doing things for our health is actually what we want to do and what we crave to do and it's not something that is just for fit and healthy people it is something that is for everybody and um, I think exercise is a word that scares a lot of people so movement is a good way of putting it because I know many people who are traumatized by the word exercise and so I always say movement and activity and we are all designed to move no matter how unfit you are you can move in some way shape or form um, and then build from that so no thank you both it's been wonderful talking to you and the time has gone so quickly I could have um, carried talking to you for a lot longer but thank you for joining me um where can people find out about the the fit mass podcast and how to subscribe and listen in to you guys all of the links and everything you need to know are at thefitmess.com perfect we'll put those up with the recording as well thank you both thank you you've been listening to Louise's health kick podcast with Louise Masia discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 